Welcome to episode 327 of Coffee Pods and Wads. Uh, today's episode, as per usual, is sponsored by Fitter. You can go to get.fitter.training, start a free trial, um, and learn why so many coaches and training camps and everyone uses Fitter, including today's guest, uh, Yami with the training plan. He uses Fitter. Um, you can white label it, you can change your own logo, you can change your own colorways, and you can integrate it with Zapier and other stuff as well, which is really handy. So get.fitter.training, start a free trial. You can also get a little discount if you go to join.whoop.com forward slash cpw. That'll get you a free strap and a free month, I think, or else $30 off, which sort of equates to roughly the same, I suppose, really. Um, they have AI coaching now on Whoop. So you can click in, ask it what you should do. And it will tell you what to do based off what you did the day before, the day before, the day before, what you've done since you've been wearing it, what your strain is like, what your recovery is like, what your sleep was like last night. It'll tell you the best things to get your strain to where you want to get it to, if that's your jam. Um, if you go to join.weep.com forward slash cpw, I also get a little kickback anytime anyone signs up. So if you're going to sign up, you can give me your little kickback instead of giving it to someone like, I don't know, Rory McIlroy or someone who doesn't need it. Um, also sponsoring the show, LSKD. If you go to lskd.co and use CPW LSKD in all capital letters, you get a little discount as well. On there, they've got a heap of new stuff. They're actually running a competition at the minute to win a pair of um, Hyperice like boots for recovery. And you can also get a voucher. I think you need to be in certain parts of the world to do that. Um, so maybe that's only for Australia. But still, um, pretty good competition to be entered into. They've got their staple collection. That's live at the minute. And they've also got um, their Zephyr Lux material. And they have these new Rep Your League things as well, actually, which they're like kind of sweatshirts. But they're like 80s retro style sweatshirts so that they look like sweatshirts that um if my dad had any style he would have worn in the 80s but he didn't so he didn't uh goad are also sponsoring the show you can go to goad.app or go to the app store or the place or whatever download goad and find out where over a million people in the world use goad and i'm also willing to bet that there's some people who use um pliability that just use goad and say they use pliability but maybe that's slanderous, I don't know. If it is, I retract it. Uh, Built for Athletes have a discount as well. You can use CBW15 for a discount off their new rucksack bags. I saw one of Filthy 150, they look pretty cool. I thought they were going to give me one, but they didn't. But sure, look, that's life, isn't it? Uh, today's guest is Yami Takinen. He is, I mean, one of the longest serving coaches in CrossFit and one of the most successful and one of the most underrated um, he's coached Annie Thor's daughter for like 10 years, same with BKG. He's coached Catherine, Sarah, uh, Yana Koski now, Reggie Fassa. Um, he coached Miko Salo or well helped Miko Salo back in the day. If, if there's a CrossFit athlete from that general area, that general neck of the woods, he's probably coached them in some capacity. He also had the team last year, um, the Icelandic team, Reykjavik, and he coaches Cam Porter as well. Um, we chat about all 
the aforementioned athletes, his philosophies on training, um, why he tends to shy away from the spotlight, and loads of other stuff as well. Um, I'm aware that this is an incredibly low-energy introduction, but I was in America at the weekend for Crash Crucible. You can watch the vlogs on YouTube. There's two of them. I'm in the middle of making a third. Um, and yeah, tiredness levels are fairly high. Uh, my whoop died on the flight home. And I'm sort of a little bit relieved it did because it might have started writing my obituary had it been active on my arm yesterday. But we'll carry on regardless. So here's Yami. It's better to ask for forgiveness yeah. afterwards. Exactly. Well, we're live now anyway. Um, yeah, this, I mean, what a way to start. Bob, I have a feeling this one was a long time in the works. Fair play. Yes, this is, I make it like two and a half years. <laughs> You you have tried you have tried very hard to make this happen. Yeah. I have been um, uh, elusive. <clears throat> yeah, we kind of chatted a bit, like DM'd a bit, and then it was like, oh, I'm like you're a busy guy, um, and then we chatted in Lowlands. Um, yeah, and games yeah, B- as well. Yeah, BK introduced us in Lowlands, and we mm-hmm. said, oh, we know each other, and then I, uh, BK was like, he should do a podcast with you. I said, you know, he fucking should, BK. You're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, it's great. I'm delighted to to get to chat to you. Um, how are you? You were what were you? You were like hiking or something, is it? Mm, yeah, I was in Finland. I tried to do this yearly hike with old college mates every year. We skipped one year uh, in the last seven. But uh, this one was great. My friend's shoes fell apart on the first day of the hike. First left one on day one and then the right one on day two. It was uh, amazingly duct tape can do anything and uh, we survived. But it was, it was how a long, amazing. How trip. long is the hike and what, what type of like weather and terrain and stuff? Mm, just before we went, uh, it had snowed for two days. It was like early snow. There was, you know, up to half a meter of snow. Uh, which luckily melted by the time we got there, which meant that all the rivers that we had to cross uh, were flooding. So that was really interesting. Um, the terrain is like it's between sometimes you're on a, this forest path, a um, little bit of like fjords or like these hills, five, six hundred meters. And then sometimes you're just hiking through forest. And it was mainly raining, the classic Finnish dash Icelandic weather, mainly raining yeah. one day of sun. Um, but yeah, we were going to do 100 kilometers or so, which is like a classic uh, that we would do. And uh, we did maybe like 50 because uh, we were fixing the shoes like once an hour. We had some point looking and being like, oh, we're moving at like two kilometers per hour pace, which was not uh, epic, but uh, something different. Do you, do you camp up there as well then? Yeah. So in Finland, it's pretty common in the wilderness that there's cottages in the national parks oh, okay. that you can stay. Uh, but we did like tent nights uh, for a few nights and then one night in a cottage just to dry our stuff after the rain. So how many how many days was it? Like four days then? Yeah, like three and a half, like, yeah, four, four-ish, four-ish days. We had to kind of cut it short because the shoes gave up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd say I'd say there was no comments passed to that guy. It was just like. It's just one of those things, man. Don't worry about it. I'd say it was just constant bombardment of abuse for the entire <laughs> like fifty kilometers. Yeah, yeah. There was there was some abuse, and then there was a little bit of feeling bad bad for him. Uh, but yeah. he was a trooper, you know, getting through four days. I mean, it was five kilometers into this hike that his shoe fell apart. So are they like pretty... new shoes? Were they like, oh, guys, I got these new shoes just for this hike? Or are they? No, should he have? That... Should he have? Like when looking at the shoes initially pre-break, were you like? 
Why is he wearing those? Why did he not get new shoes? I, I would say that the first bad sign was the application of super glue. Uh, <laughs> before before we left, uh, my sister lives up in Lapland, so that's kind of like little base camp. And before we left from there, uh, he was super gluing one of the shoes. So I, I think that was a sign that he yeah. um, he did not follow. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, when you get a lift and uh, you, you get a ride in someone's car and you see them doing something weird and you're like, wait, why are they doing that? Is this safe? Is this car okay? Um, there's, I assume that's Chase because Bill's too old to type. Uh, Yami, go do great breakdancing. Can you do breakdancing? There, there is a secret past of me as a breakdancer. Yes. I mean, like I used to have... doing it. Yeah, yeah. I, have, I had hair and then I liked head spins and uh, now it's like this, you know, wearing the hair. Yeah, I, I used to break dance. Yeah, from when I was like 16 to 19, I, I break danced. Um, I went to, I like to say that I went to Braunschweig in Germany for Battle of the Year, which if you do break dancing, you know that it, that's what used to be the main event back in the day. Um, but I went to spectate. So it sounds better if I just leave it at saying <laughs> I went there. Yeah, that's like me saying I went to the games in 2019 and then like not answering any follow-up questions. <laughs> exactly. Like, no, I, exactly. I just went. I just went. You don't need to know why. I just went. Um, yeah, pretty much. Chase, Chase follows up with our last Manny dance-offs in Miami. I, like, I feel like you can put anyone's name at the end of that sentence when it's Chase. It's like, I lost Manny dance-off too. Insert any <laughs> name like in after that. Um, how how did you get into that then? Was that like, were you were you kind of an alternative kid in school then? Were you like seeking out alternative means of entertaining yourself oh when i got to breakdancing yeah yeah i mean my background was in judo i did judo from age of six and competed at a decent level in finland so basically it's like um when you compete in finnish national team most of the time you just go abroad for one match they beat you up and then you go back home um so i did that for a while in judo and then i was kind of in my teenage years and had to impress the ladies somehow so I thought, uh, instead of losing judo matches abroad, it's much more impressive to do some breakdancing and, uh, got, uh, into it with this actually German, uh, German guy who have lived in Finland for a long time, who did judo as well. He was a coach and then he was a dance teacher as well. So he was very old school, uh, old school moves, uh, already then. And I learned from him and, um, yeah, then, and you know, we used, did some battles together and things like that. We had a little crew. And what's the, like, what's the. I don't know, like the prevailing or the most important thing, quality for you to have. Is it like strength? Is it like, you know, do you need to have like an internal metronome giving you a bit of a beat? Or are you able to just, is it just like being able to hold yourself upside down, being able to, you know, like body manipulation type stuff? Yeah, I mean, it would be lovely to have an internal metronome to hold me to the beat. <laughs> I think that is my uh, greatest failing. But um, I, I think people approach it differently. There's people who have more style. People have very good rhythm and then there's people who just bust out when crazy power moves. So I was trying to bust out the crazy power moves, but my power moves were like, you know, windmill and a little bit of head spinning. And, you know, it wasn't like that impressive. A couple of little, little freezes and things, you know. Um, so I, I tried I tried very hard, but uh, I, I wasn't amazing uh, at any point at it. But, you know, when you try so hard to do something for three, four years and, you know, you're invested in it, you, you get to be okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know about that. I've been doing CrossFit for more than three or four years, and I'm still pretty shit. Um, hey, I, I've been doing CrossFit since 2006, and I'm still pretty shit. So hey, could be worse. Was was CrossFit your next thing after breakdancing? Then 
Mm, no. So I, I moved to France when I was uh, 20 and I went to uh, work actually at Euro Disney because I'd studied French. I wanted to learn how to speak French properly. So I figured I'll go there for six months. But I was always, you know, into Bruce Lee and all this martial arts stuff. So I found a really good martial arts school uh, with a with a Sifu, uh, Didier Bedar, who had studied uh, with William Chung, who trained with Bruce Lee. So it's like, ah, oh, it's amazing, you know, yeah. and uh, I actually did Wing Chun there for three years. I stayed to do martial arts. I actually wanted to be a martial arts teacher. Uh, and I stayed for that. And then that got me to Chinese medicine and, you know, all sorts of complicated things. But um, but yeah, Wing Chun was my next thing after breakdancing. Um, how many languages can you speak? Mm, so I can speak Finnish, still okay, uh, English. And then uh, I can speak French. I studied in, in French uh, my first degree. And then <clears throat> now I'm... Uh, yeah, so I'm trying to learn to speak Icelandic, but it's 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 pretty tricky language. I'll get it. I'll get it. It might take me a little bit, but um, is there is there similarities? Is it like you know the way? Like if you're in, I don't know. I assume this is all assumption, so maybe I'm wrong. But if you're in like Finland and you go to Sweden, you can kind of pick up certain bits of similar similar like words and stuff. And if you go to like Norway, there's similar words that you can kind of you could get by like with just Finnish. Is that fair? Mm, not with Finnish. So it kind of works between Danish, Norwegian, and Swedish. And then it okay. kind of works between Danish and Norwegian and Icelandic a little bit. But, you know, like Icelandic language isolated itself, you know, over <laughs> a thousand years ago, pretty yeah. much. So it's like old Norwegian, essentially. So is there um, no transference of Finnish to the rest then? No, no. The, the closest, like, linguistic relative is Hungarian, uh, which we don't really share words, but we have similar strange grammar. But we do have some words that are the same in Icelandic and in Finnish. For example, murari okay. which is the master bricklayer. And then we also have suklarusina, uh, very important, chocolate raisin. It's the same okay. word. So yeah. we have a All, few, you know. Just your, your everyday phrases, like common phrases. Yeah, like yeah. Your, not not necessarily your greetings, but your, that guy's a master bricklayer. <laughs> like, hey, look, uh, that's, that's not rabbit shit. That's a chocolate raisin. Those important yeah, phrases. I, yeah, I love that chocolate raisin is the same word in two languages. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how that happened, but I'm, I'm very happy that it did. Yeah. I assume it was like some Icelandic guy was over in Finland, came back and was like, guys, they have fucking raisins and they're covered in chocolate. And they call them <laughs> I know. Yeah, uh, that's funny. Um, so you were 20 when you went to France. Did you go on your own? Yeah, it was just me. It was just me. It was funnily enough, I went to do the job interview to get to Disney just before the trip to the Battle of the Year for the Breakdancing World Championships. Oh, okay. Wow, so we're it's an so epic, epic journey. Such a, it's such it's a perfect timeline. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what was the job at Disneyland? Um, I was not uh, a character. I did, um, if any kids are listening, no one's playing the characters, they're real. But yeah, uh, yeah, I so wasn't. Um, I was. Um, I worked first at this thing called guest flow, so I just made sure that people go where they need to be in the shows and parades and things like that. And then I did guest services, which was like VIP tours, guided tours in the park, taking in all the complaints and taking care of lost children. So it was a diverse uh, set of things that I had to do. So when you do, uh, when you take care of lost children, I assume you just put a costume on them and put them into like Tiny World or something, and you just like 
you give them a job. You're basically like, you yeah. belong to us now. You just put a little yeah. hat on them, push them on. Be, be, and other people are walking around being like, wow, the animatronics are so realistic. And it's like <laughs> a child like just crying. <laughs> Essentially, what you do is you hope that they don't cry. And if they don't cry or if they do cry, you just put them in front of the TV and you put a Disney movie on that you would like yeah, yeah. to watch that day. And then yeah, yeah. they'll watch it, but you're actually watching the movie. Oh, no, we took very good. You, you don't need to tell me, man. Three year old, mm-hmm. uh, like I have a three year old, and I'm like, do you know what's a really good movie? And like, I'm trying to get her die hard, die like. hard. No. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever? Has anyone in school ever told you about Lord of the Rings, the director's cut? <laughs> it's like you, you, you really like the orcs. Um, and then they built their pension span earlier. <clears throat> oh yeah, really good. Like you want to get that story arc. Like in, you just want to have an appreciation for that early doors. Um. So you, you worked in Disneyland, you left, left Disneyland, you wanted to continue your education. Um, is that, are you still doing that? Are you still like educating yourself in that, like in the more, in that kind of classic way of like degrees and like that diplomas and stuff now? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of the journey was essentially when I moved to France, then I did, I did a degree in Chinese medicine randomly first. Then I didn't quite get into the Chinese philosophy around it. I figured that I have to learn the Chinese you know, language if I really want to understand Chinese medicine. But then I got interested in osteopathy, which is what I studied next. And then through osteopathy, I've been kind of like always going between the two worlds of learning something about coaching or learning something that's more manual therapy, kind of understanding physiology and anatomy. So yeah, I'm, I'm almost always on a journey to study something. I'd say most recently was Z Health. I did a kind of master practitioner kind of degree kind of thing. It wasn't university, but like more private tuition. Um, but now it's been a little while. Now it's been a little while that I followed like a longer formal curriculum of something that would take me years um, mm. to accomplish. But I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I have my eyes on a couple of things um, at the moment that I'd like to pursue. Yeah. I feel like learning Chinese would be a bit of an undertaking. I don't think there's many share, shared words between Finnish and Chinese somehow. Master Maybe so cla- probably I think so claros in a, I feel like so claros in a could be like universal. Yeah. Did you know yeah. that there is a Finnish word called rapakivi, which is the same in English? You might not know that word, but it's a specific type of rock. But that's an English word for this thing that's actually Finnish. So maybe it's the same in Chinese. So I could have a, you know, like a short conversation. Maybe, yeah. Absolutely. Really, really topic specific conversation. Just Very both specific. you and the Chinese guy just both pointing at a rock. And just that's it. One engagement. <laughs> and I go, Rapa Kivi, and they go, like, no, no, not Rapa Kivi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You just leave. Um, yeah. Or if the entire wall of China was made of that one rock, you'd be fucking sorted. Like, you'd never <sighs> need to so worry good. about it. Yeah, yeah. You'd get a job. That could be it. You could go from Disney World to working on the Great Wall of China, just pointing at it, saying the name of the rock. Perfect. Um, and then what was it then um so chinese chinese medicine osteopathy and then where does like crossfit start to kind of creep in on the horizon mm. so it was kind of like to do with the wing chun so that kung fu i was it was 2006 and i um or 2005 2006 i was just looking for i had done you know training like the the when i was doing judo then i did like the 20 rep back squat kind of training and things like that i was always curious you know there was a website called cyber pump Back in the day, if, if you're very old school internet, you'd know that uh, before T Nation and all these, you know, kind of classics. And I was just looking around trying to find more information about training. I was curious and I stumbled um, on the CrossFit.com website and just kind of got into it. I, I, I've, I've told this story before, but I just remember 
when I tried my first workout and I was in Paris and I went to this woods um, <clears throat> to do this workout and it was just a classic four rounds, you know, 400 meter run and 50 air squats. And, uh, and I, I, you know, it was okay for the first round. And then somewhere between the second and third round, there was an old lady walking a dog who walked past me as I thought I was running at blazing speed. And I realized that there's something into the, to this CrossFit methodology because I, I was training so much. I, I was doing, you know, the Kung Fu, I was doing 10 sessions a week of, you know, 90 minutes. And I, I thought I was, you know, decent in a decent shape. Um, but turned out um, that I wasn't. Okay. And it was kind of love at first sight or love at first uh, terrible workout experience. So we can, we can thank that granny with her dog. For the fact that you he stuck with it all this time, I if know. you breeze past her, you would be like, "This is shit. It's boring. I'm sick of this." Um, that's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wonder if that woman, if she ever like flicks on ESPN and she's like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> Maybe she was like French speed walking champion or something. You know, I get yeah. betrayed by her hidden yeah, fitness. Yeah. That's funny. Um, and then. Uh, you, you, so you continued with the dot com stuff, and was your, your training? I remember. I think I heard you talking about this. You're on Savan. The good thing about talking to you now is it's so long since I heard that interview at Savan that, like, as you're talking about stuff, I'm like, oh shit, yeah, I remember him saying something about France before. So like, it's yeah, nice yeah. that it's it's still new to me now. It's not so too actually, fresh. Yeah, yeah, you've actually timed this really well, Yami. Well done. Um, so uh, was it was all your training largely like that for a long time then like dot com like that kind of gorilla crossfit stuff like out in a park and carrying kettlebells places and stuff yeah i was at the university um afterwards so i i, I was in france when i started and then it was like another six months a little more before i moved to england to do the osteopathy degree so i lived in london i studied there and um i kind of tried to i started training by myself and just following kind of the dot com and start pretty early on. I started to come up with my own workouts, trying to kind of like think about what would be, you know, what would be another good workout apart from the dot com stuff. Uh, I didn't do any weights at the beginning. I just didn't have access to a gym. But then when I got to London, I got access to a kind of university gym, which was pretty rubbish to be, to be fair. But, you know, there was a rower. So then I started to do rowing intervals. And we had this great little gym in the actual building where I studied at the British School of Osteopathy, which is this tiny room, probably the size of this office that I'm in now. And it was dusty as hell. No one ever used it except me. And then I got a couple guys to use it. And uh, yeah, I, I just have fond memories. Uh, my uh, my most epic crossed moment is probably doing um, 34 rounds of Cindy uh, in that dusty room on a lunch break with like, uh, you know, just like a beam, this thick, like a pulley machine beam to do the pull-ups. And that was my, maybe like my peak fitness, my peak CrossFit fitness moment. Um, but it was terrible to train there. I mean, it was like health hazard every time you would go there. <laughs> yeah. Asbestos everywhere. Um, is that, it, that was you, you uh, John Singleton was there too. Is that right? Around that time? Yeah. Yeah. So John was the same year as me. I introduced him to CrossFit. He started training with me maybe a few years in i started training with one guy first and then i got john into it maybe on our third year of studies together i want to say perhaps um yeah i think maybe 2009 i got him into uh into crossfit as well and he started training with me uh and we were training partners uh for a while or through the university um hmm. what I what age well. are you then 2000 what age are you now i am still 40. Wow. Okay. Still, um, still. 
what age were you then? So like peak peak fitness, Cindy. What age were you then? Yeah, like 28, 28, 29, probably. Okay, yeah. Twenty. Yeah, no, 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 no. Twenty, twenty six, twenty seven. Sorry. Um, and were your parents still in Finland at this stage? So when you left for France, they were there, and then you went to London. Yeah, yeah, they they just stayed in Finland. Okay. And were they happy, like just sending you off, like just like, all right, see you later, and then just getting the odd postcard or letter or whatever? Yeah, or like, mom, can you send me some money, kind of thing. Um, I I think I I think I don't know that if they were happy or not, like by themselves, they were happy for me, and they were always so yeah. supportive of me going. I'm very thankful that they didn't ever try to talk me out of it or anything. I think they understood. I mean, I I moved out, I moved out when I was 18, like as soon as I could. I moved out of the house and just rented a place myself, etc. Um, so I think they were kind of used to the, the idea <clears throat> that this was me and um, I was going to be, I was going to be abroad. But I'm also sure that they wished that I was, you know, mm. back home. What what uh, what did they do? What was their like jobs or whatever growing up? Um, my dad was into um, IT, so he did IT support for banks and then university. And my dad and my mom, um, she was a secretary first at a bank. There was a big recession in Finland, you know, a lot of banks went down, went under and the one that where they worked, uh, that went under back in the early 90s. Um, but then she worked at the fire station as a secretary as well. Because I'm just thinking like it must be like I've tried to explain this to my dad, like the podcast and everything. Like, it's a fucking waste of time. Like I just basically <laughs> told him it's the, it's the radio, but on the internet because I was like, I don't yeah. know how else to explain it to him. Um, but like, it must have been, uh, like, was it hard for your parents, do you think, to understand, obviously they're supportive and everything, but to fully empathize or understand with like, okay, he, he likes Bruce Lee. And then it's like, okay, he really likes Bruce Lee. And then it's like, all right, he's leaving to go and try and be like Bruce Lee. Like, was that the, do you think they, they fully understood like what, what, what you were trying to do? Yeah, it's a good question. And I'm not sure if they did. I think it. To their credit, I would probably like to say that whether they did or didn't, it, it was enough for them that I did. Yeah, you know yeah. that's that was always the feeling um, that I got. And then uh, my my dad unfortunately passed away last year, but he oh, was really that's okay. He he um, he was really into watching the competitions. You know, like CrossFit competitions. He would always follow if I had athletes competing. He would always watch the games, bro. You know, anything that he could see, watch. You know, he would always always be watching on YouTube or somewhere else. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, that answers all the questions. Then I guess he's obviously just like unending support. Do you know, like that's all you can really want from a parent is to fake, like, fake an interest enough that it turns into a real interest, basically. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like, sure. oh yeah, the the CrossFit thing, yeah, and then that turns into like, oh, Annie did brilliant on that second workout in Rogue, and like, you know, like it turns yeah. into yeah. actual yeah. interest. In some ways, I think it helps when you do live far away you know like all of a sudden these things start to matter more probably because you feel you know that you're further away from your son yeah um so maybe that played to my favor as well yeah maybe yeah in a sense i don't live particularly close to my dad and he couldn't give a fuck though so i don't know we'll see <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll test you we'll test your theory maybe um so he actually my dad arrived in today i came home from work i collected my kids and came home and uh he only lives i'm only joking he only lives about half an hour away i see him like once a week but he came in and uh, he's so like, like just so self-centered. Like it's just, he's always just been like, I have this urgent problem that I need help with. And like, I cannot see anything else apart from like blinkers are on, you know? And he goes, um, 
he said oh, he was walking up to me with two phones in his hand like brick like pieces of shit like carved from wood phones and he comes up and both my kids are crying as i'm taking them out of the car and like both of them crying walking towards the door and he's walking behind me with his phone in his hand he goes like i have a problem with my phone and i was like i have worse problems <laughs> like just like i was like just fuck off for five minutes like i was like come in and i get it done eventually and i was like trying to sort out my kids and my son was like crying non-stop and then he banged his head and just fucking arm again and um dad was literally like a toddler like walking after me all around the kitchen with these two phones in his hand like and i was like yeah look uh, we'll, we'll get it sorted um right. but yeah then then you, you you like you know no matter what you give out about you're still like yeah, still great that he's around and the kids get to see him and stuff like and you know, yeah, he's, yeah, you know, yeah. stuck on his phone or whatever. Um you're in London then doing cross or whatever, and you're doing so you, you said you were kind of doing your own or making up your own workouts mm-hmm. after a while. Is this like had you like deep dived into the journal and stuff and like gone from there, or were you like looking at workouts being like, Oh, I wonder what that would be like if you did twenty one instead of like sets of whatever? No, I, I'm definitely always been the person who, you know, I, I'll know more about theory of something than I have physical ability to apply. Like always, like I'm, I'm practical, but I'm very into the understanding. Like I, I need to understand how things work. So actually, when I was in Paris uh, finishing my studies there, I was working. I now shifted to working at a hotel, and I was doing a night shift and just like in this intercontinental hotel so it's very fancy you the guest is always right and you always find a solution to their problems and i was doing that um just solving solving basically problems on the phone most of the time for them in the middle of the night so this left me with a lot of time to print out crossfit journals and to read all of them cover to cover multiple times so i i was like you know i knew a to z i knew everything that was written about crossfit like i had read everything so there was that theoretical uh, but I, I'm always curious, you know, I, I, I think that you have to have, you have to experiment to understand something. Um, so I was always curious to try, try things out from, from the very beginning, I would say it's like, I see something and then I was like, I have to try to tweak it somehow. I can't just take it. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't accept it, accept it for what it is basically mm. and kind of fiddle with it. Um, I like the idea of that company being like, why the fuck are there's our toner and our ink going so much that I, and then there's this like stack of like a wall of books in your house oh, that you can, like... it, it was it was it was a high high stack i mean <laughs> i printed so much everything in color of course that was important <laughs> yeah full color diagrams um mm-hmm. so then at what point did like did you accept like all right i can't be absolutely ridiculously good at this but i can make someone else be absolutely ridiculous or i can help someone else get there was like was there kind of that kind of internal conversation or was it more of a natural progression and you just kind of found yourself helping other people more th- more so than just trying to better yourself no there was there was like a very specific moment when i realized <laughs> what my what my genetic potential was or wasn't no i was uh 2009 i competed at the it was kind of called the sanction also uh, what was it called at the time? I think it was called sanctionals. It, it was essentially like this first year. That... Or something, was it? Sectionals, maybe? Sectionals. Could have been sectionals. It was the very first yeah. time that you could compete in Europe. In that was Island. the one you could just you could just turn up at, wasn't it? You could. There were 13 yeah. of us who turned up. Um, okay. one of us, one of the guys who turned up happened to be Mikko Salo. Oh, um, okay. Which, you know, we we had this one of the workouts was like 
it was a fun competition. But we, we had one of the workouts was uh, Heavy Helen, which is like just with 400 meter run. It was we had 32 kg kettlebell swings, which at the time 2009, you know, that was ooh. and then chest to bar pull ups, which was like, yeah. and um, you know, and there was a guy called Richard von Mierbeck there as well, who made it the games a couple times, Belgian guy. And uh, I just remember doing that workout. And I ran with Richard on the first round, which was the worst possible thing that I could have done. Um, and then I remember dropping the kettlebell on my head twice on the second round or like hitting myself on the way down because I was just so like out of it because I went way too hard. Um, I had tried the workout in practice and then I did it like on Monday because I was so pissed off that I didn't make the game. So I was like just out. And then I did it like two minutes faster because I just you know, had some pacing. It's like a yeah. lesson, but yeah, Mick got just absolutely like he would finish a workout and then go pick up his camera and take a photos of people doing <laughs> the workout. It, it, it was like the, the level of fitness that he had at the time relative to the community. It was just absurd, you know? And I was like, wow. Okay. So this, there is this completely different level that I clearly know that. And then 2010, he asked me to work with him. I was finishing my studies in osteopathy. He asked if I would come to Halmstad in uh, Sweden for the, uh, sectionals i think they were still called then or semi-final i don't remember what, but what role did he want you to do there uh to be his osteopath like take care of his body we had kind of established that relationship a little bit before and we stayed in touch after uh the initial when we met at the competition and um yeah so i, I it was kind of like it was a big hustle for me to make it because i had absolutely no money when i was a student like I, I had to walk because I couldn't afford the bus kind of deal. And, uh, but I put the, I scraped together money to buy the flights with Ryan there. Uh, it's great. And then, uh, he paid for the hotel room for me to be able to stay there. And I had this massive exam the day before or when I had to fly. So I had to like take this four hour exam in like an hour and then be like, get the special permission to leave. So I could make the airport and the bus, you know, from London for three hours with Ryan Air flights and no money. Um, so there was this like epic journey to make it there. And then it was at home start that I also met Annie um, and offered her, you know, I, I saw, you know, just the raw potential was there, but she hadn't been coached in CrossFit that much. So I was like, I think I can help you like perfect timing kind of, I think I can help you. Uh, and mm. she was uh, silly enough to believe that I could. And, uh, yeah. you know, that's what when a, we started. What, a, what a dumb move. What a big, what a major mistake <laughs> that was. Um, so you're obviously like, <clears throat> Because like when I speak to you or anytime I've spoken to you or anytime I've heard you, you're very humble in like you, you rarely, I rarely hear, hear you take credit for things. I rarely hear you take, say like, oh, it's because of me that this or like, or, you know, I mean, you'd be a bit of a dick if you did, I guess. Like, but mm -hmm. you, ne I never hear you like, you know, lord it over any other coaches or say like, well, my programming is this or that or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like you obviously had confidence enough in what you were doing and what you knew even at that stage to say like, Hey, I can help you. Obviously you didn't know it was what Annie was going to turn into. Like, you yeah, know, yeah. But you could see this is an athlete that like, Oh, she's good. But if she just did this, this, and this, that last workout would have been way better. So mm -hmm. then you approach, so you, you like, you're obviously confident, but just humble. Is that accurate? Like you're confident in your abilities, you're confident in what you can do, but you just don't like toot your own horn kind of thing. Yeah. And I think I'm confident in knowing that I'm going to be wrong no matter what. So just live with it in a sense. I, I think that anyone who pretends that they've kind of cracked the code on CrossFit programming, I mean, I, I don't think you, you aren't being honest with yourself. I think it's still such a new sport that we're still, you know, trying to figure things out. And I think it's, it's more about um, having the courage to try things out, be confident enough that you're not so wrong that you're going to mess up someone who is so talented. 
I think that's already a big thing. Um, I would mm-hmm. rather look at it that way. Um, you know, I think when you think about programming, for example, for an athlete, one of the ways to look at it is like first try not to be wrong. And then when you're not too wrong, then you try to be right instead of try to be right from the beginning, because then you're more likely to be wrong and lead them in the wrong direction. So maybe it is like philosophies like that, that make make it come across as, you know, as, as humble in a sense, but I, I probably, you know, I could probably like try to toot my own horn a little bit more than I do. Uh, but it's just not something that comes naturally to me. You know, I'd rather acknowledge that I'm likely to be wrong and I just try to be less wrong than other people are. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because I have spoken about this to Khan like at length about your uh, reluctance or either reluctance or inability to self-promote. <laughs> That's like, you know, yeah. like that, like, but then I suppose there's trappings that come with that. Like if you do, if you do step into the spotlight, then you're in the spotlight and you're accessible and you have to be accessible and you're going to be asked for quotes and you're going to be asked for, you know, like opinions and then you know if you're putting your opinion out there publicly and you're wrong then you're going to be judged for that and if you're you know mm. what i mean it, there, there are like pitfalls to it too sure. sometimes you are better off just staying in like pardon the pun but staying in your box and mm-hmm. working with the people that you trust and that trust you and then just like letting the work f- speak for itself i guess yeah yeah in a sense i mean i i would say that obviously in this world right now <clears throat> i think arnold schwarzenegger just came out with a new book that has a chapter called sell 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 and it worked out well for him you know of course from a business perspective it's probably smart to be able to self-promote more than i can uh but um or have historically done but at the same time you know i i i would like to think that the work speaks for it work speaks for itself as well and the people you know that i work closely with they have stuck with me for a long time probably mm. also um for a reason mm. um yeah bernie gannon says uh <laughs> i'm just gonna keep saying this so i've like i've seen i usually watch like podcasts on my phone or on my laptop screen and i forever thought that bernie gannon was wearing uh George Washington style white wig because like the white background. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. It was, on, it was only yesterday that like I was on Savannah show and he pulled up a comment and I saw Burning Gun and I was like, oh, he changed his picture and I was like, no, wait a minute, that is the same <laughs> picture. I just couldn't see it. Um, yeah, he's saying self praise is no praise. I mean, the thing is like self praise is no praise, but like I will always laugh at my own jokes if they're funny and I technically that's self praise, but like you have to laugh partially in case nobody else does or like in case nobody realizes it's a joke, but like. Self-praise is kind of some praise. He also said earlier on, if this is true, this is an astonishing fact. With an average of 12 kilos per year, which is what, like 25 pounds, Finnish people drink more coffee per person than anyone else in the world per year. That is mm-hmm. nuts if that's true. Does that sound right to you? Are you like, yeah, we're a big coffee drinking nation? Yeah, we are a big coffee drinking nation. Now, there's a couple of things to know. First of all, 12 kilos a year is not that much. I mean, that's just, you know, amateur stuff. But... <laughs> Um, but I, I guess it's okay for an average Finnish person, but just not. Yeah. No, I, I think you're, we do drink a lot of coffee. You're taking into account there are people that don't. Like I go through about a kilo, and uh, I well, okay, me and my wife go through about a kilo and a half a month. Yeah. So that's. I, I think that's fair enough. Yeah, I, I think twelve kilos. Obvi- it, it is obviously a lot, but I yeah. Finnish people. There's a culture where you drink really weak coffee all the way through the day. So it's like the caffeine content is probably relatively low altogether. And then you people just drink it, you know, even at like just before they go to bed. It's, it's a little crazy to me. Um, yeah. 
I'm definitely like, more yeah. concentrated in the morning, early afternoon coffee guy. Yeah, my dad uh, drinks, he'll drink coffee at like 10 p.m. But it's like, you know, that Maxwell House shit, like, you know, like it's like mm. <laughs> just muck. I remember, like, uh, oh, my dad is very prevalent at this episode for some reason. I remember when uh, I was younger, I can't remember why, but I remember I was pissed off at him for something. And I made, he, I said, do you want a cup of coffee? And he was like, yeah, because he always has one at like 9, 10 p.m. And I, I was about like 16 and I made him a Maxwell house with seven teaspoons of Maxwell house. Like I just kept going. I was like, fucking, dick, fucking dickhead. Like, like pouring it in, brought it into him. And either he didn't notice or he didn't let me know that he noticed. I reckon it's the latter. I reckon he was like, that motherfucker. But he was like, hmm. Like, like, it should have been like, mm, the best coffee I ever had. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. You should make it every time. Um, yeah, that's funny. Um, so um, co- approaching Annie, coaching Annie, was that a distance thing then or were you like i'll move to iceland like how did that work early doors yeah it, it was distant thing distance thing first like you know i mean sending some videos back and forth the technology wasn't quite the same as it's now in terms of like distributing training programs um and uh, yeah just skype calls um at the time and then and obviously at the games we worked in person 2010 games um mm. That was the first time that we actually got kind of like more hands-on and then after that i went to iceland um, for some time like not long time like a little later on in that year i went for like a week and then it was kind of a little bit like that i was in the seminar staff the crossfit level one seminar staff and she then got, got in the staff and so we saw also at level ones and i came to iceland every now and then she came to london um and then i lived in iceland i, I traveled uh for a period of time from 2014 2017 i was just like traveling on airbnb and going back home to london and then traveling again for three months so i spent some time in iceland like that uh, mm-hmm. as well but a lot of it a lot of it um has been distance uh, apart from the last you know year and a few years there's been like more and more contact time in the last few years uh, and now obviously i live in iceland um with the seminar staff thing then did you stop doing that because like you felt like you kind of did your duty or served your time or whatever, or was it just that the training plan was becoming a beast that needed all your attention and like you couldn't no, you could no longer share your time basically. Yeah. A bit of both, a bit of both. I mean, I had done so many seminars at that time I, I for like, it was about five years that I spent in seminar staff and at like accelerating rate, especially when I got to be a flow master, or like run, run the gigs. Then I was just, you know, doing over 40 seminars a year. I think at some year I did like 48, 48 weekends. I was away uh, teaching and plus some midweek seminars, like level twos. So, you know, it, it was also like I, I needed a little break. I had traveled so much uh, and I was teaching Kelly's, Kelly's Tourette's seminar as well at the same time. So it was like, it, it was just becoming a little bit too much. So, you know, and the training plan was starting to grow. So it was like a little bit of both. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so your co- was Annie, were you coaching other people as well as Annie or was Annie like your only focus for the early doors say? No. So at the beginning, like the first games, it was really, I went to help Mikko as an osteopath and then, uh, in 2010 and then Sven Björnsson from Iceland was competing. So I was, you know, coaching both him and Annie, um, at the beginning. And then after that, there were some people just kind of like started to reach out to me. 
this is kind of like how it, I ended up starting the training plan is that people, more and more people start to reach out to me and I just start to feel like it's not efficient use of my time to just write these individual programs. Um, especially if it's people who, you know, they were maybe not yet at that level where that there's obviously an upside to individual attention and individualized programming, but it's also like little pretentious to know that, you know, exactly the right program for this person mm. that is optimal. So that's kind of started to have be the seeds of the idea of, uh, programming for, you know, doing training plan, but you know, there was Numi, Katrina Son, who competed at the games, Lucas Hoiberi, you know, Pierre Quinn joined early on as well. He started on the training plan first, did that, and then, you know, qualified for the games for the first time, just doing the programming. And then we started working yeah. more closely together from there. Um, I, when I, the couple of times that I spoke to uh, BK and uh, Khan, um, who's, he's like one of your more recent athletes, I guess, <clears throat> um, one of the things that they that they both say frequently is that like you do things say you you could have them doing something now that in about six months or eight months will suddenly be the new like buzz thing that everyone's talking about and they're like yeah yeah we've done this like we've been doing this <laughs> since like 18 months ago or whatever mm-hmm. um those kind of things like you mentioned that you kind of test things and that you like to tweak things and do things a bit differently or whatever is that like just experience and time is a curiosity is it like do you just part does part of you just kind of view them as guinea pigs and be like i wonder how bk would react if i did like three minutes of cold therapy and then what you know like that kind of way is that Mm -hmm. like is that how your brain functions that you just kind of want to experiment on them basically yeah i I mean i think there's a couple things i am like curiosity definitely is like a driving characteristic for me driving characteristic for me but i I think a lot of it is to do with like, I, I think that the found fundamentals are the most important thing for any athlete. And you have to keep repeating those fundamentals all through your career. You know, it's always good to be strong. It's always good to have strong conditioning base. It's always good to move well. But then it's, I have to kind of make the assumption at the high level that everyone's doing it, whether they are or not is another matter, but I have to make the assumption as a coach that they are. So it's like, we need to do those things really, really well. And then like, if, if we don't do those well, the other stuff doesn't matter. But if we do those well, then it's my job, it's my role, it's my responsibility to go look what's on the edges, what's what's happening in the performance world as a whole beyond our sport, which is where I would like, try to look for most, like not what, we, what people are doing in CrossFit, but what people are doing outside of CrossFit, what can we learn? And then try to bring things in, either whether it's in the form of like an expert who can tell us something or whether it's in just like, hey, there is this thing that we haven't considered or there's this thing or hey everyone in this running community is doing this it's like surely there's something to it like we must try it so there is this curiosity and i think it's also keeping things interesting you know for me like i've been coaching for a long time and i i want to stick to the foundations because they are the foundations and it's really important not to forget them and that takes discipline but then beyond that i'm I'm a really curious person so i i need to like i have this urge to go and explore and i would hate that we would you know not have the results we had because someone else figured something out you know that had been already worked out in a different sport uh but they did it before us in this sport like i very much want to be doing things that other people are not even thinking about mm. and there's obviously a certain level of trust there as well that the athletes like the athletes have to be like sure yeah i'll do it and not be like why are we doing this <laughs> like you know what yeah i mean i mean we've been doing We've kind of gone off it for a little bit now, but we've been doing, for example, brain endurance training for the last you know, three years. 
Um, and I don't what's, think anyone's... Explain that to me. Like I'm five. Explain so, it like I'm five. <laughs> yeah. So you could say that there is this idea or concept that fatigue is really a perception. It's an opinion of your brain that thinks that, you know, the reward that you're getting from doing this is no longer worth the price, right? So it's like an opinion. It's not worth it anymore. But that's based <clears throat> partially there. There is a, let's say, neurological correlate to this in the brain where you can train specifically certain name, certain brain areas doing specific tasks. And then you can combine this with uh, training, uh, doing your regular training. You know, for example, in the rest periods between the intervals, you could be doing playing a game that is specific to activate these specific brain areas so that you can build resilience into them under those conditions. I mean, I, I guess in our sport, for example, a simple thing that like Matt Frazier has talked about this in the past. I was like, ah, oh, yes, he's smart. He was talking about like doing math in his head while he was working out. This is an example of brain endurance training, whether he thought about it as brain endurance training or not. Essentially, he's adding and this kind of like additional stimulus that his frontal lobe needs to pay attention. This is not five-year-old explanation. I'm really sorry. I got it off on a tangent. I can follow. I can follow. Yeah, can follow. yeah, yeah. So, so, so essentially, he's giving himself a task. Okay, I'm doing something really hard, but I also need to go, okay, what's three plus seven? What's 15 times three? And I need to do this math in my head, and I'm trying to do it fast. So there is this extra cognitive load that's making everything harder. And then when you take it off, when you're competing, it's like... You know, it's like you have we're doing training with weighted okay. vests, and you took it off. So it's not, it's not. He's not distracting himself from the pain that he's incurring through his physical movements. It's not a distraction thing. It's like train heavy, race light. It's like think mm. loads when you're training, and then just switch off and find flow when you're competing, and you'll hit new gear basically. Yeah, and this is like relatively well researched phenomenon now that you can actually improve your endurance in like bike time trials and things like that. That this is significant. I mean. If again, a lot of the professional football teams are doing this, a lot of Formula One drivers are doing this, a lot of Tour de France cyclists are doing this, a lot of the tri top triathletes are doing this. It's just, it's it's like one more thing you have to do. So then it becomes a, how do you integrate this into your training? Yeah. And, how and that's you, like, how did you find it? Did you find like, oh shit, yeah, this is good stuff? Like they're, they're reacting well to it. So I was always interested in neurology a lot and understanding the brain. And, and I, I did this five years study essentially of understanding the nervous system and the brain's role in movement and fatigue and performance. So that was like the previous kind of like longer study curriculum that I followed. Um, so then I was kind of well primed to understand this topic. And then I um, reached out to a guy who's been working on Formula One and developed some software around this. And uh, we got talking and I did some, you know, Thanks for them. And what's what are you like? It's good stuff. It's look, it's good stuff. That the challenge is that at any given you time, obviously, gonna... you obviously assume you need to be at a certain level to even bother considering this. Yeah, because yeah, like... exactly. It's it's not the for most people. For some people, it could be the low hanging fruit, but like for most people, it's not. It's just like again, if you if if your foundations are not there, if you're not doing the fundamentals, if you're you know, getting takeaways not... every night, there's no point taking creatine and protein. <laughs> you know, like no. or you know, like taking loads of pills, like right. I would so I would argue that there's still point in taking the creatine and protein because those habits might then instill you not to yeah, do those things. Maybe. But but yeah, absolutely. It's like this is not relevant for ninety nine point nine nine percent of the population at all. What about other stuff? Like I heard um, someone told me at the weekend they were. Uh, fuck! What did they take? It was like 
chewable nicotine basically like without the without yeah. the you know any of the bad shit it was literally just the nicotine mm-hmm. and they said oh should the whole man city squad are doing this because it's like a, a focus yeah a cognitive like, focus yeah, like a new, like a nootropic. Nicotine is nootropic. It'll help yeah. you reduce anxiety and be more focused. I asked him, was he just, are you, are you trying to get into smoking? <laughs> like, is this your, is yeah. this your gateway? Yeah, like, gateway drug. Um, yeah. What about, what about stuff like that? Like, because obviously you have to be very careful with stuff like that. If there's testing and all that kind of stuff, you don't want to ruin someone's career by being like, oh shit, we shouldn't have tried no, that thing. I'm, I, yeah. I'm super cautious when it comes yeah. to anything supplements. I mean, it's just like a silly thing. Silly thing to happen. Like it, it's, uh, I'm basically the relationship that I have with the athletes that I work with, especially those that I work longest and closest, is that they will tell me if they're taking something. Like in terms of like they are sick and they're asking me like, "Hey, can I take this medication?" And I go and check on the, you know, yeah, glo- it's like a global draw. It's like a page you can check or like check basically USADA or WADA, you know. Hmm. databases to make sure that we are not taking anything that they cannot take. And I'm very cautious. I mean, I think that there are a few supplements that really work, that there's a really strong evidence, like creatine is one of them, for Hmm. example. Uh, Caffeine is another one that definitely works. But then there's a lot of supplements that could be okay, but every time you take something that could be okay, there's always a risk that it's contaminated. Uh, So I'm I'm very cautious when it comes to uh, supplements, for sure. Hmm. Um, are you surprised there's as many, uh, you know, positive drug samples in CrossFit and stuff like, does that, like when you hear of one, like someone popping, are you like, oh, fuck's sake, like just be more careful. Or are you like, yeah, like not surprised by that at all. The stuff I've seen and heard, this isn't a shock at all. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't be like to anyone just be more careful. I mean, I, I hope that if people do drugs that they get caught, I, I think that's, that's good. That's a good thing. I system. meant be more careful as you, as in like, <laughs> Oh, don't take something. Yeah. Forget. Like you want me to say like, oh, I didn't realize it was, you know, I'm going on, yeah. I'm, I'm pretending I believe yeah. their story and I'm saying, well, just be more sure. careful. Not like hydro syringes and shit. <laughs> like, I just yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, I would say that obviously anything could happen. Like I'm, I'm careful. Like if we go, you know, like before rogues, we go to a restaurant and I'm going to be like, hey, where is your meat coming from? And they say Mexico. And I'm like, mm, it could be okay, but it could not be. You know, that there's a yeah. higher chance that they're using something in there than it's coming from Canada. You know, it's like bad example. Maybe I don't, there's nothing bad with Mexican beef, I'm sure. But like, it, you know, I'm just like running probabilities. Yeah, yeah. I'm always running probabilities in my head, Yeah. you know. Um, but I, I'm not surprised that people get caught because surely there's so many people participating in CrossFit as a sport that somebody is always using. It's like any other sport. What I'm always disappointed about is when I speak about CrossFit with people who don't know anything about CrossFit, that they make the assumption that everyone is using, Hmm. which I think is not true. Um, I obviously some people have got caught using some people probably have got away, um, using as well. Like that would happen in any sport. Um, but, yeah, I, it's always disappointing. I, you know, it's a little bit, it doesn't touch me so much if it's like a master's athlete that I don't work with so many master's athletes. Like I'm not as connected, but when it's an individual athlete, for example, from the games, it's always disappointing because most of the time you've met them, you know, you spoke mm. with them and, and, and you would like to believe that everyone's playing the fair game. Does it surprise you? So like say, um, Andrew Hiller's made a few videos about like, are certain athletes like natural or not natural and, you know, like he's uh questioning the validity of their games we'll say um 
does it surprise you given how many people assume like oh well everyone's on something then uh does it surprise you that more people having been around crossfit since like day dot and been around competitive crossfit for a good chunk of that time as well Mm -hmm. having seen a lot talked to a lot of people heard a lot of stories that kind of stuff does it surprise you that more people don't get caught then in the individual because we've only had like one or two high profile ones do you think that Hmm. is that a low number do you think or do you think is it about right i you know it's obviously hard to say it's hard to know the truth when you know you you don't know the truth you can just believe what people say but i would say this is that the sport is still relatively young and i think we are still you know we've had the athletes who've been around for a really long time have probably self-selected for this sport because they have good ability good genetic potential to be good at this sport you know, or they have the right sporting background. I don't think anyone gets to the CrossFit Games by accident. You know, like normal people don't compete at CrossFit Games individual. Like they just don't. It doesn't matter really how hard you're working. You need to have some level of ability because there are, you know, hundreds if thousands of people who are working very, very hard. It's hard to work that much harder. Mm. And they are not making it, if that makes sense. So that there's already like a genetic selection for the game. So in some ways, it doesn't surprise me because I think that the people are more and more like over time as the sport evolves, we'll see more and more people selecting that have, you know, if there's more money, more incentives for athletes, you're going to get better and better athletes as the time goes by. Um, so it doesn't surprise me in a sense that this, there is essentially like a little bit of a Darwinian selection of people who make it to the games every year. Um, so would it be the kind of outliers then that you'd be like, oh, maybe someone should test that person? Like if someone just randomly makes it to the games having been nowhere, would you be yeah. like, uh, maybe that person? Maybe check yeah, that. I mean, I mean, I think it's like, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, one intends this politically correctly, right? Like, I, I think it's like, a, there's a cultural aspect to this is like, if you come from countries where the testing is traditionally very rigorous, or then you come from countries where the testing is not as rigorous traditionally, if you look at Olympic sports, you know, you can make some statistical, again, like assumptions in your head. Um, and then I think that's okay, that that informs your thinking a little bit. But I, I'd i say like there, there are obviously physical features that you could look at, like the shape of the face of a person, the shape of the deltoids, the shape of the pecs, you know, that there are some physical characteristics you know, the skin condition that are probably common for people who use, um, especially mm-hmm. like anabolic steroids and things like that. Mm-hmm. But then I think that the the other aspect is that if somebody makes a sig- very significant leap in their performance in a single season, either they figured something out, you know, they found the right environment for them. They found the right training program for them. They maybe resolved some underlying issue, you know, some deficiency or something that was really holding them back. You know, they were anemic something like that, or, or, you know, perhaps they, they chose uh, a different route, but it's, it's again, one of those things that you can only speculate, right? Like I, I don't want to ever claim that I know if someone did or didn't do something unless they tell me directly, or I see them do it, or they get busted in a, in a test, you know, it's like, it's one of those things. It's very easy to speculate and say things about people, but it's actually really, really hard to know. Like, again, some people just genetically have these crazy bodies, um, that we see in the sport and then some people probably don't genetically have those bodies but they just you know got there another way with your analysis there you could probably make your own natty or not videos <laughs> it sounds like you've a similar amount of insight to hiller um jack says how do you how did you feel when ricky got caught especially while being a, was he with the training plan 
Yeah, so I coached Ricky. I, I so there was a period of time when I coached Ricky. He was on the training. I coached Ben, Ben Garrod, uh, his brother, and then I coached Ricky. See, these are the things like people don't know, right? I coached Ricky uh, the year that uh, he got caught using the drugs. I mean, I was I was in London and he was in Australia, so it's like extremely mm -hmm. hard for me to know what was going on. Um, I felt obviously I felt betrayed. Uh, Based during, on the conversations yeah. during that season, were you like, you know, just say all the things that you've just said of those body changes, those sudden leaps in performance? Was there any part of you that was like, am I the right training partner for him? Is there something else going on? No, I would say, you know, if you look at Ricky, is a beast of an athlete, he has a crazy mindset. And when you know, I lived in Australia for three months with Ben, essentially Ben Garrett, his brother, and everything I saw about Ricky, he was just doing the right things, you know, he was so meticulous with everything. You know, I've just felt like he was an athlete who had the potential, who went all in and had some guidance, you know, like that's how I felt at the time. But then, you know, afterwards I could have had, you know, we were like just before the games, we were like here and staying here and training and they were staying here and training. We would kept inviting like, hey, Ricky, it's like it's a short drive, like come and train with us. And he wouldn't. There were like some things that after the fact yeah with hindsight yeah with hindsight it's easy to say like i should have seen the signs but i was completely blindsided uh by it i mean they they, they to be fair like i had ben when they knew before the public knew ben reached out to me and was like telling me about this and i was obviously like what's happening here i had absolutely mm. no idea so i was maybe that was like me lo losing some of my naivety um around drugs in this sport with with what happened but yeah i it, it was a hard thing to get over but now it's it's absolutely fine there's no it's water under the bridge there's no problems with those guys and i feel like ricky's worked really worked really hard and had a lot of guts to come back uh after it I, a lot of most people would have quit and would have not waited for four years um, yeah. and so you know all the kudos for him and i i i can only assume that he's doing things the right way now yeah um there was a, a more lighthearted comment. I can't, like, fucking Rambler, man. I can't find any comments because you're just constantly <laughs> commenting. Like, it's so hard to find all, where the other fucking comments I just are. thought that no one's commenting, you know? Oh, he's, he's like this one guy and he's just, like, his fingers must be on fire. It's just constant. Um, shit, I can't find it. Someone said hello from CrossFit uh, Pontilac. Oh. Kate or something. Where the hello. Yeah. It? We've trained there many times before the games. Very nice. I don't know. She's gone. I can't find her. Sorry. You can blame Rambler. Like, literally, there's about 400 comments and they're all him. Um, okay. Um, yeah, that's that's uh, remarkable. When they called you uh, to tell you, um, were they like, hey, Ricky fucked up and he took this? Or was it the same, like, until recently? Like, did you find out with the rest of us that, like, no, actually, I knew what I was doing? You know, like, was it like, what? I don't understand this. Like, when they were talking to you, or were they like, yeah, he fucked up? Let's say it was a little 50-50 without going into, like, yeah. too so much hard... into, into details out of respect is for it, them. Would you, would you say, then, that you have almost, like, kind of a... Is it, like, loyalty? Is it kind of, like, do you feel like some kind of almost, like, Hippocratic oath that it's, like, well, that's not my news to share? So, like, when everyone's talking about it, you're just, like, I'm not even, like, going... Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, 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 it's not for me to, to share. Like, I, I, I obviously want to have my conversations with them because of how I felt about the situation. I put all my trust uh, into them in the process. And, 
you know, I, I wasn't aware of this at any point. Hmm. And, you know, obviously they would not tell me because I would, I don't know what I would have done. I would have either told them that you, you stop immediately. I would have told like, well, you have to come clean. Like, this is it. Like I, I'm very much like we are the guys who at the games, you know, if there's no water bottle that's open that we don't know what it is, we'll never drink it. If I leave a water bottle somewhere and it's Annie's bottle, she's never going to drink it from that again because we left it you know what i mean like i'm yeah. i'm the overly cautious guy and they maybe knew it so they probably just decided it's best that i'm not into this <laughs> at all and i would yeah, have we, we we can't tell him he he makes us throw out our bottles when he's here we can't tell him yeah um, yeah so i was uh, i wanted to ask then with uh so obviously this weekend or this month we'll see tia coming back uh post partum coming back to to compete and you've obviously gone through that route with annie of mm -hmm. taking her from um, pregnancy through to becoming a parent through to like going back and finding her, you know, fitness again and then utilizing her fitness in remarkable ways and like, you know, just an absolutely outstanding return uh, to the games when she came back and then team and everything else. Like there's obviously like, when you think of longevity in CrossFit, like she pops into your head straight away. Like she's the first person that pops into my head when I think of like mm -hmm. the long-term um, competitor. Like how much say or control or whatever do you have as a coach in that? Like, are you literally just sitting back and saying, she'll come to me when she's ready and she has her decision made? Or are you like involved in like, hey, Yami, I'm thinking that I might go back and I might compete. And you're like, no, like, we'll see what happens. But, you know, like how how much coach-athlete relationship is it and how much is it she just comes to you and says, hey, I'm ready, I want to start again? Yeah, I mean, it's in some ways, it's like it's it's her journey, right? And I'm here to guide her on that journey if she so chooses. So it's like... I don't think it's for me to tell her. Like, I, I think that there are coaches who want to win through their athletes. But I, for me, it's about helping the athletes to accomplish what they want to accomplish. You know, pursue dreams that are worthwhile, worthwhile pursuing. So I think for me, it's very obvious that I'll wait. You know, I might ask her. I might raise the conversation as what are you thinking for the next thing. But, like, we've gone from season to season for, like, a very long time with Annie. Like, you know, we do one season. And then we assess and then she'll let me know we'll, we'll start training but then she'll let me know we have some kind of a deadline at what point we need to know but then she'll let me know if she wants to go for one more year um, versus me being like hey you need to compete for three more years because we can do yeah. this and that it's like it's it's absolutely has to come from her and i, I think yeah. that's kind of part of the trust that we have i have a feeling i, I think i always have a feeling as to what's gonna come i might be surprised but i think most of the time with like Danny, i just unknown um what she's going to decide maybe before she decides it or tells me just reading body language how she approaches training you know i've known her for so long you know yeah that you just learn to read the signs has she made a decision for this year yet no no no, no. it's too early no. okay. too early it's too early now it's too early yeah i mean we're training we're not don't yeah. get me wrong it's like it's kind of like um train until you choose not to train kind of thing you could, can't afford to take the time that much time you know you need to start working on the things that you need to work yeah. on yeah of course just in case sort of thing yeah it's basically like hey let's train as if you were going to compete and then you let me know if you don't because the, if you go the other way and you know it's january yeah, and we're making decisions back. it's yeah. like we, we lost you know four months so when do you when do you what is your deadline for knowing like have you is it like is it that it's not january that's very late is it not 
No, I mean, think about it this way. It's like now we had like two, three, three weeks maybe after games mm -hmm. of just do whatever you want to do. And then we're back to training. So it's like, it's not like we haven't been training. So the, because the approach is that we will train until you tell me not to, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm just like the workouts keep coming, you know, I'll do this. Do you, do this, do you program, do, do you program differently in obviously like the, the stage of the season is different. So I'm assuming the programming is, is different, but like, mm -hmm. are you a gentler coach? Like, are you like, I don't want to piss her off. Okay. Like, I don't want to give her something rotten and have her turn around and be like, fuck it, I'm done. So do you, do you like yeah. program gentler in this period then? No, it's more, it's more thinking of, you know, the years that she's trained or like with Annie, with Piotr, you know, they've been around so long. So it's more about thinking of like, how can we make progress? Like what's the minimum amount of things that we can do? What's the least amount of stimulus we can give to make progress instead of like, what's the absolute maximum workload that I could crush you under and make you hate yourself, you know, in September, October, that's not the approach. It's, it's more about what's the least that we can do that's still going to help you make progress. And I think that's been the philosophy all, all the time. And that's why they can compete, you know, still after 10 years, you know, even more for any, because there needs to be a gentler part to the season. It doesn't mean that the work is less intentional or, you know, less purposeful, mm -hmm. but it's, you know, we are certainly not hitting cross workouts every day, all day, all season. Like that's not what training looks like, looks like. Hmm. Um, the, uh, that brings up another one then of like this or last year, like not the season just gone by the season before, mm -hmm. um, you ventured into team, uh, competition, mm -hmm. um, and you had Annie and you had Khan and, uh, Tola and Lauren, um, and that, brought with it a lot of uh external pressure a lot of like assumption a lot of like oh it's a two horse fight and you know like a two horse race two man fight i don't know <laughs> two horse uh, fight <laughs> like boxing gloves maybe um, but uh <clears throat> you know a lot of pressure came with that a lot of attention came with that a lot of like basically if you if they didn't it's almost like if they didn't win or finish second it wasn't going to be a success and i'm sure you guys had a different metric for success but the external one um hmm. that seemed to be uh the story that was being told um i guess i've uh, a couple of questions about it like one did you enjoy that did you enjoy coaching a team and like i guess that team specifically but just any team like is that something that you're interested in doing and enjoyed um what like is it something that you think you'll do again like can we expect another Reykjavik team like this year next year yeah so yeah i mean i would say I enjoyed the experience. I, I would say that, of course, for us, success would have been to be on the top of the podium. I mean, that's that's why people moved from around the world to be here and mm -hmm. to work together towards the shared goal. Um, so I would say that, you know, we didn't succeed, but it certainly wasn't a failure from a perspective of, you know, everything that comes from the journey. So there is obviously that one week, one weekend in August, and then there's the rest of the year, and they both have a lot of value. Uh, probably the, the games weekend has less value overall in, in, you know, than, than the journey that you're on. But of course, that's the metric that people use to measure your success. Uh, it doesn't matter what you do in training if you can't then execute in the competition. And unfortunately, we had the injury with Lauren um, just before just before the games as well. So 
Yeah, so it was an enjoyable experience. It was also the most stressful kind of games experience. It, it was kind of the worst year for me at the games as a coach, but it also was, you know, like a rewarding year of coaching these individuals uh, into this team. Now, whether I would do it again or not, I think with the right people, I would do it again. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily, you know, put together a team that might be on the 27th spot at the games, that that would not be very interesting. But if we could have a team that could be on the podium, then I think that would be interesting. So if like if like BK and Khan came to you and said, "Hey, we have an idea," you'd be like, "I'm listening." <laughs> but if it was like <laughs> me, if it was like me, you'd be like, "No, it's okay." <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, maybe. I mean, who knows? Maybe you have some hidden talents. You'd be a great team athlete. But we'll never know. I'd be a good worm. I could. <laughs> good, I could good, I good could worm. Be, be the worm like literally yeah you could be you could be the substitute athlete that we use as a worm when we don't have one exactly yeah yeah. like third third choice third choice yeah Um, with with uh lauren's injury then is that like so that i was kind of curious when you're talking about annie and bk and stuff in the 10 years thing i'm wondering like i guess lauren's a good example to use so she she was obviously had a niggle she was injured like she was quite injured and it seemed like you know a lot of things were okay. It was just one or two things like consistently caused a problem was what I heard mm. um, just before the games. Um, and obviously there's in different sports in like soccer, football, like basketball, whatever the coach is the one that says, Hey, no, fuck off. Like you're hurt. We need to get like, we need our strongest team out there or whatever. Um, and you obviously had an alternate mm-hmm. there in Catherine because she hadn't qualified, qualified as an individual. Um, mm-hmm. In that kind of scenario, like it's obviously it, because CrossFit is kind of a different sport to those other team sports. Like it's mm. not as uh, impersonal. Is that the right word? It's like it's yeah. more like there's more focus on the relationship, I guess, or importance to the relationship. Mm-hmm. Is it hard then to say, "Hey, no," like you know, is it less your call? Do you think, and more the athlete's call? Like, are you kind of waiting for the athlete to say, "I, I kind of think I need to withdraw here," which, the, because of the type of people that do CrossFit and those like genetic freaks that you've mentioned that make it to that level, mm-hmm. they're also like m- mental freaks. Like, sure, that's part of it. That has yeah, they're to be wired part of differently, it. so they're far less likely to be the one to come to you and say, "I can't do this." Mm-hmm. Like, they'll be like, "Fuck it, I'll try it." So, yeah, is it is it a difficult? juxtaposition there to be like i know that they're not okay but i can't make the call but they probably won't make the call you yeah. know is, is, is that like yeah i hear you play? i hear you yeah it, it was hard I, I mean it was definitely hard and i think for me um I, I think for me it was like a learning experience as a coach you know because i'm used to coaching individual athletes so i'm so used to considering the individual you know and in this case i could have like it, it, the decision was mine and Annie's. You know, we were kind of to make a decision. So I think, you know, if I would get go to that moment again, I would choose differently. I have to admit because I would now have the mindset of being more of a team coach and be like, hey, it's really about the team doing as well as they could. Mm. You know, so if I could go back, I would be like, hey, you're injured. I would love to have you in the team, but we need to have the best possible team. And then I would pick Katrin. I mean, I think in hindsight now, like knowing what I know, it, it would be, I think what any, almost any team sport coach would have decided, kind of like what you alluded to, that would have been like an easy choice for a lot of people. It was an excruciatingly difficult choice 
um, for us, and we tried to really, yeah. It's made harder with the fact that it was Iceland and that there's been so much upheaval to make the team happen that then you're like, man, she sacrificed so much that it's like yeah, it's a shit ab- move then. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of like considering the individual. For me, mm-hmm. it's like athletes are people too and those people as individuals, as human beings, are to me are more important than those individuals as athletes, mm-hmm. you know? But in that context, in that moment, maybe, the you know, in a sense the decision for the team, not for me or not for anyone else, maybe just for that team, for that group of people who came together to pursue that goal, the right decision might have been to, you know, just sub the injured athlete out, regardless of who it would have been, uh, and sub a healthy athlete in, um, of course, and then we might have had a different, you know, different outcome. But, you know, hindsight, it's 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 very easy. But I've certainly learned some lessons from mm. those games. Um, the if if bk came to you and i'm not saying uh that this conversation needs to happen this year certainly not but if bk came to you at some point and said yeah let's go i want to go again and you were like really like after last year like you really like do you just trust that okay he's obviously driven he'll do it or like do you think that a a point will ever come for for you to go like "Hmm, i think he might have peaked like i think maybe we've done it so you need to look at other things Oh, funny. I don't think that he would. <laughs> it's kind of a little bit like I've had this conversation before with Mick or with Mick Kosala. Like, you know, he decided to not compete as an individual at some point. And I think that these guys, like, just the mindset that Annie or Pjörg, you know, any one of these guys, Jon and Henrik, they have is that they're not going to go there to participate. It's just not interesting. Yeah. They've done it. They've been there, done that. It's it's not what they pursue. You know, Annie was not happy with her performance at the Games and the outcome this year at the Games. And rightly so, you know, because we're going for the podium every time we go. And I, I think that's just normal. So I think that the athletes will have, they will know. They'll know if they have the... Well, first of all, they know what it takes, the amount of commitment, sacrifice, discipline, intent that it takes to get there. So if they don't feel like they can commit to that, they will not pursue it. But as long as they feel like they can commit to it and it's realistic and their body will be able to hold up to that because they're putting themselves through a lot, then I I, I don't think it's going to be, ever be a problem. I think he'll let me know that he's mm-hmm. done before I have to be like, yeah, it's time to. Yeah, I reckon that will be around 2034 or so, around that time. Something um, like that. <clears throat> what about then, you've, you've coached um, a lot of athletes over the years like there's been a lot of athletes that came to you and that have since left like bk and annie are probably the the constants like the consistent mm-hmm. ones um yeah. and you have people like yana and heinrich coming on and stuff but um when an athlete comes that's we'll we'll say like those kind of games caliber athletes when they come and they work with you and it doesn't result in like major success and they leave do you just like compartmentalize that or you like do you see that as a self-failing do you feel it just as a failing in relationship do you feel it as like oh maybe this programming didn't align with what they were doing or maybe there was external factors like how do you how do you overcome those kind of speed bumps yeah i i think of course it's like it's always disappointing when you don't reach the goal that you set together uh, especially when you work very hard to accomplish it but I would say, you know, there are different things that are really, really important. I think it's really important that you trust the athlete. It's important the athlete trusts you. And it's very important that the athlete trusts what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. And that's a combination of what the programming is and what is that they are putting in to execute that programming the best of their capacity. And, and I think those things are all very important to build confidence. You know, there's this 
nice quote that confidence comes from competence and competence comes from repetition. And I think you have to trust those repetitions that you're doing in practice. And, you know, for example, for me, how I think about training is not like it's, it's influenced by the traditional CrossFit culture and the, certainly the roots of where these things come from, but it's also influenced by so many other things. That the training looks very different for these guys than it does, I would say, for a large group of people. And then when you're used to training one way and you come across a very different way of training, you have to learn to trust that training and you have to learn to kind of like do that training with the appropriate manner. And then on the other hand, I need to be able to adjust to the expectations of the athlete and what their background is and what their experience is. And then sometimes with having so many variables, you know, to match in the sense that they just don't match. Or sometimes it just requires more time. You know, like I think with Katrin, uh, I always said to her from the beginning, I think she needs two years to be really back where she is. And, and now she is, you know, back mm. kind of like where she was this year. And I think it's like, I always felt like she needed that time, but of course, I also really wanted her to make it back to the games. And there were just a couple of tactical mistakes that happened. And she also had a very difficult semifinals, for example, in terms of the events, like with the muscle ups and the rope climbs, there were like a lot of things that made it very challenging, uh, making no excuses there, but it, it was like a difficult package for us to bring, bring mm -hmm. together. And, and we didn't succeed. Um, and you know, if I feel like I've done every, my utmost, and I feel like the athlete did what the best that they could as well, then I, I don't have any regrets. You mm -hmm. know, it's like we did the best we could and then we have to learn. And it's an iterative process working with athletes. You learn every year you work with them. Every time you work with them, you learn something new, it's especially if you're interested and curious about the journey and the process gets better. When someone like Yana comes to you then, are you like, fuck yes. Like when someone who's been around the sport loads, like mm -hmm. is almost like, so consistent like with mm -hmm. performances um like you can he's literally like up down up down up down up down like every second year mm -hmm. but he he has these like wheelhouse workouts that he dominates he's mm -hmm. like he's so driven in his training like it's like he really cares about it he's really focused on it are you like brilliant yeah come on or is there any kind of reluctance there of like well shit this guy's already really good that's a bit of pressure to like if he joins i have to make him better and he's already really good mm -hmm. sure absolutely it's hard to harder to squeeze out those last percentages or tenths of a percent uh from someone then you know it's always i'm like oh, it's so easy in a good way to train amateur athletes or people who are just starting out or people who have who are so far away from the genetic genetic potential it's obviously easy to look really smart when you work with people who could do they have so many low-hanging fruit around them you know but with guys like Yonne, of course uh you know there is always a risk associated with that and you have to choose again is that risk worth the reward is and that is as much to do with if you believe that the athlete has the potential to do well that's important but also like would you enjoy working with this person because it's going to get very intense working with them, it's a long-term commitment. For me, it's like doing one season with an athlete is like, in a sense, that's nothing, but such a short period of time. You know, I think it's more about establishing these relationships that last for years. Are you willing to commit the next five years of your life to helping this person to pursue their journey? If the answer is no, then it's it's probably not going to happen. Hmm. Um, do you get angry with your athletes? Like, do you shout at them and like, or are you, because you seem very stoic, like where it's a finished thing, isn't it, to be like, non-emotive yeah. really yeah 
Yeah. No, I, I don't get angry with my athletes. I think that the only time that I, or I would say I do not typically get angry with the athletes. I would say the only time I might get angry with them, if they're really putting themselves down, if they're having big moments of doubt, I just get upset because they're so great. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're so amazing that if they afford themselves to go really, really deep into like, oh my God, then that's the only moment that really kind of annoys me. But like, it's, it doesn't really happen. So no, I, I don't really get angry with the athletes because again, I'm thinking of outcomes in terms of what, what is that going to accomplish? Like what, mm. what, how will their journey be better? How will this, this training session be better? How is this competition going to be better if I get upset with them? Mm. It's probably not. It's more about me. If I get upset with them, then it's about them. And the only right time to get upset with them is if there's an upside to them. If I get upset, you know, if it yeah. puts some fire in their belly. Um, a bit like the, it's basically the opposite of my parenting style. <laughs> It's like, how, how can I make this situation worse? I know I'll get angry. Um, with uh, I, I know we've been uh, talking a long time. I'm, I'm finished up. I just have a couple of little nice. uh, topics that are burning. Um, with um, other training camps, then you mentioned that you brought John Singleton into uh, CrossFit. You introduced him to CrossFit uh, all those years ago when you were both like spry young lads in London. Um, mm -hmm. Is there like do you get on well with the other coaches? Is there a, is there like um not animosity but like uh you know maybe a touch of unhealthy competitiveness between the coaches? Like is there any? Because I'm even thinking that there are some athletes who have trained with John and then trained with you or vice versa. Mm -hmm. Or there, you know there's some crossover, especially being in Europe, but even like more globally. Like you mentioned, Catherine left and like then she went to HBPO. So like that's more competition. Like, do you view the other training camps as competition, or are you just like fuck them, let them do whatever they want, we'll do what we're doing, and then on at you know courtside or whatever, you're all arm around the shoulder, pally pally, or is there any kind of like standoffishness? No, I don't think I don't experience really stand standoffishness uh, between the training camps. I think of course like your athletes are competing against the, or the athletes that you work with. I don't like owning athletes; they're not my athletes, but the athletes that I work with you know, are competing against the athletes that they work with. There is obviously inherent competition there, but it's not like I'm not going to go slitting somebody's Achilles or something like that <laughs> in an attempt to, you know, slow them down to get the water bottle to the athlete. I, I don't think there's anything, there's anything like that. Again, I'm honestly like as a person, I, for me, it's not interesting to try to do something. Like if somebody's doing something, I'm really not interested in trying to do that better. I'm really interested in doing things that other people are not even thinking about. Like that's mm -hmm. what drives me. I want to be doing those things. And you know, that's, that, that's, what's interesting to me, especially working with the, you know, individual athletes. And so, yes, I mean, the other the training camps are competition in, in very concrete terms when we go to games, rogue, anything like that. But uh, I don't think that there's any animosity or like, mm. obviously I'd be upset if people would be like, Hey, come and come and train with me. We are yeah. so good. Come and train with me. Like, but I don't experience that kind of behavior, uh, especially have with you, the athletes. Have you, have you ever experienced that? No, I'd say that the athletes that I work with the longest are the people that have learned to trust me and that I trust. And that trust is really the key component of that relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you work with someone for a short period of time, it's 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 not really enough to establish that trust yeah. yet. I think it's a long-term thing. It's like you you meet someone and you become friends. It's going to take you a long time before they are best pals. Mm. Uh, and I think it's very much like that. So I think it's like that there is a bit of a, let's say honeymoon period where it's, it's not that it's fair game, but I th I'm not so upset. I'd be upset if Annie would now go and to go, you know, yeah. train with someone else. I would consider that to be a personal failure that 
I could not provide to her what she needed. I could not adapt myself, <clears throat> but otherwise, no. Yeah. Um, so Rogue then, that's in like three three weeks? No. Yeah, yeah, a little, yeah, little under, kind of that, yeah. Um, and then do you know do you know beyond October like what you're doing like are you kind of wait like because like so okay so we'll like BK has he decided yet yeah yeah he's competing okay so he, you're you've a sole focus there yeah BK, Worst young, Hendrick yeah those guys yeah. so the three guys uh can is he kind of just seeing what happens with his back basically is that the plan just see where yeah we just need to see it. where we can get his body like wh what can we put together in time uh yeah. for the season Gla but gladiators will help i'm sure that'll be yeah that was great that it'll, was either, it'll either fuck him or he'll be great afterwards that's fantastic <laughs> that's that's done luckily and now he's still alive i just had a call with him the other day so he's still alive so that's a good sign yeah, yeah i mean yeah Khan definitely we'll see um how his he, body, I, I know yeah. the last time I spoke to him, his plan was summer essentially, or like start the summer at least in Australia, as in their summer, our winter, and then come to Iceland. Is that still, like, yeah, yeah, body, yeah, hopefully, body pending, I guess. yeah, hopefully, we get him here sometime in November, maybe late okay. November. <clears throat> From there, uh, he has some obligations with the show and things like that that he needs to fulfill, of course. But you know, it's not easy being a gladiator, um, but. But yeah, I, 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 you know, we'll just have to see a little bit. Uh, he's a beast, you know. Like if if we can bring him, have a healthy season, and I'm sh like very confident in his ability to qualify. He's so strong in here when it comes to competing, and he has engine like you've never seen before in this sport. He, he, like I've always for the like once he started, once this injury wasn't going away quickly. I was like, man, that shit, man, there's $40,000 up for grabs at High Rocks World Championships. Like, he should just start signing up. Yeah. Like, yeah, maybe we need... Him. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe that's the... the I need to speak to Con. Yeah. You can yeah. make the mega box. Yeah. Um, and outside of... Are you expecting any... Have you have you had any, like, nice DMs from any other athletes that you're thinking, like, oh, hey, come to Iceland. Like, is there any other stuff happening yeah not people necessarily are not super keen to move to iceland you know it's a beautiful country can you see the picture on the background by by the way i chose yeah, yeah. this but that's ever one of the owners of the gym that's in cool. epic icelandic but no there's no one who's like going to move to iceland but i'll be i'm working with reggie still like he's recovering from that pec tear that he had at the semis mm. um he's like right on the cusp like mm -hmm. he's like he needs like if if he, from a spectator standpoint um you know take this as advice whatever um yeah. but no he feels like he's just like one or one or two little tweaks and he's games like yeah. he's just right on the edge like yeah he certainly right has the physical capacity i think he needs to take a breath and then go and then he's fine you know i think it's that's that's kind of what we need to work on uh for him and just bring things together in the context of crossfit i think he's you know he's 20 minute ftp tests and like his like 5k about, runs yeah you talk uh, about ricky's crazy. mindset like reggie is mm. a psycho like he will go to a darkest dark place like yeah but the, like but, the just... but the problem is it's a 20 minute workout and he's in the dark place 90 <laughs> yeah, seconds after, in, you know after 30 seconds yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so that's that's kind of something that we we are working on and we need to work on you know like it's yeah. it's being intentional not just in training but also being intentional in competitions and knowing how mm. to approach workouts and knowing how to stay calm in competitions, knowing how to relax in competitions and make sure you conserve your energy on the floor and not, you know, not burn it out at the, the warm-up area. I think that these are like these experiential, experiential things uh, 
uh, for Reggie, but then I think just um, getting better at combining things, you know, getting better at doing CrossFit versus just being a physical beast. You know, if you give him single modality, in, insane, insane. It's just about finding, developing his capacity to handle this kind of multimodal mm. CrossFit. Do uh, BK and Annie, like if, if an athlete approaches you, do you kind of go to Annie and be like, hey, this girl, like, what do you think? Or do you just say like, do you use your better judgment and say, yeah, I'm sure that'd be fine. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll use my better judgment and say, mm, that's not necessarily fine. Let me talk to them. No, okay. I, I, I definitely, you know, like I, especially Annie and Pjörgvin, you know, they are the, in a sense, for me, the original athletes mm. that trusted me with their careers. And I, I trust them. And I think that's, again, one of those things where you, to maintain that trust and to maintain the respect between each other, I always speak with them. Like before I started working with uh, Jonne, for example, I would speak with Pjörgvin and just make sure, hey, I'm thinking of doing this. You know, he spoke to me. What are your thoughts? You know, so I would always have that conversation. Now, it doesn't mean that if they disagree that I just then automatically say no to the other athlete. This just means that I, I want to hear what they have to say. Mm. For sure. Um, Allegra says she paid, so I'll pull up her comment. Uh, another good one. I learned something new about Yami today. Capital J. Um, I remember seeing him, uh, Pauli, capital P, and Annie on behind the scenes. Eleven, still legends. Wow, that's she's been watching Savannah stuff for a long time. Yeah, that's um, cool. Nice. There was another again. I'm not gonna be able to fucking find it. Well, there's one of them, Bob. He does uh, the training plan, I believe. He said. We have a Bob. I don't know if this this Bob. He's. I. I think he might. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. I think he might be Irish. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. I did the training plan, and as programs go, is by far the most heavily influenced by sources outside of CrossFit. I love it, but still can't get over how different it is. And you've kind of alluded to that your mm-hmm. uh, drive to. Um, there's another one. He's a big fan. Um, your drive to take from other sports and stuff, which is like it's something that I've heard of consistently about the training plan from all the different athletes. Um, I think it's no secret or no surprise, like the list of athletes that you name, uh, maybe this is just personal bias, but like, I really like Khan as a person. I really like BK as a person. I really like Annie as a person. Like you seem to have, you know, you, you say that, you, you know, you need to check like about Yana, but like, again, really good guy, like really likable person. Oh, yeah. Heinrich, really likable Reggie, yeah. like when you can understand what he's saying, really like the guy. Um, yeah. But like, you're obviously an incredibly good judge of character. Um, the people that you've drawn towards you are, they all have a lot of similar traits, like physically, but they also have a lot of similar traits personality wise, where they're likable and like genial and kind and, you know, all the mm-hmm. things that you kind of want, um, working with each other and stuff. Um, congratulations on all you've achieved so far. Um, good luck with the off season and sure drop me a text when you know what Annie's doing. Um, <laughs> and uh, best of luck with next season. I'm looking forward to seeing like Yana, BK, Reggie, all those guys, Heinrich, Can, hopefully. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, enjoy, uh, enjoy the next couple of months. It's uh, you're back in Iceland now, like full time. Yeah. 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 That's just a uh, full time gig living in Iceland. Yeah. How exciting. You're in it for, is. you're in for, bit of a shitstorm now for the next couple of months there it's area it probably gets a bit rough does it like november december yeah 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 it's a lovely icelandic weather you one thing you do is when you move to iceland you learn to appreciate the nice days you know the sun is out you have to be out because is you just like, don't know yeah isn't it like just a couple of hours some of the days 
like it's it's i'm from finland so finland is worse actually it's darker okay so it's not so bad but yeah i mean the, the midnight sun the sun does not set in june and then it does not really rise that high you know december january february that's crazy so you just learn to travel in the darkness you know yeah it's it's good that the icelandic people are so nice because if that was anywhere else it'd be riots on the days where the sun doesn't come up or like i don't know something terrible would happen there's much Um, excitement but listen it's been great to talk to you thanks uh so much for coming on i'm really delighted we got to make this happen and we'll see you in maybe in wadapalooza or maybe at the games we'll see yeah yeah absolutely anytime